0: me. O Lord, when I consider your heavens, even the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? O Lord, our governor, how excellent is your name in all the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. It's wonderful to see you all Here on Good Friday I, I'm not sure if you've experienced this, but uh, I myself uh, For many years when I come to Good Friday uh, find myself Uncertain about what I'm supposed to be doing Am I supposed to be? Engendering in myself this emotional response am I, am I supposed to be uh, Sorry or sad or guilty. Is is that what this service is for is am I trying to understand the depth of my sin and Then show God that I understand that Maybe you've never wrestled with that maybe you have Mm -hmm. Um, I Want to say that it's not healthy to just be dwelling on that Uh, To put it bluntly, this day isn't about you. It isn't about me. Now, mourning our sins is good and it's healthy uh, when it's brought about by the Holy Spirit. And when we mourn our sins in that way, the result is that it draws us closer to God. Um, But, if you have ever struggled with trying to bring up your guilt, to offer God, whether today, in this service, or any other time, I want to let you know Jesus isn't interested in your guilt. He has no desire for that. So it's Good Friday. What are we to focus on? Well, uh, I get the real pleasure of preaching Good Friday every year. I'm not quite sure how it started, but... That's what I get and so every year on this day or whatever day it falls on I have the same set of texts and I get to dive into them again and again and this year I want to talk with you about the faithfulness of the Lord the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob I want to talk to you about the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father And I'm going to start in the psalm Psalm 40 40 In Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I will take heed to my way. Excuse me. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my call. He brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the mire, clay. He set my feet upon the rock. He secured my footing. He has put a new song in my mouth a song of thanksgiving unto our God. Many shall see and fear and shall put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who has set his hope in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who go about lying. Now, just like the psalm, I, I don't know if you noticed, we have seen this pattern and have incorporated it into our tradition specifically thomas cranmer when he set about to have this thing called collect this mysterious prayer that shows up every once in a while that everyone oddly pronounces collect instead of collect that one it always starts with remembering something god has done right and that's how the psalm starts it looks back on history and and confesses what god has done And how does the psalmist know this? Well, um, he's reading the very same book that his poetry is showing up in, right? Did you hear Psalm 1 in the following text? In 7 and 8, it says, If I should declare them and speak of them, they would be more than I am able to express, these wondrous deeds. Sacrifice and offerings you do not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required, and so I said, behold, I come. In the volume, in the book, it is written of me that I delight to do your will, O God. Indeed, your law is within my heart. What is that? That's Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who walks not into the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law the Torah of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. So the psalmist sums up The history of God's behavior Which is the grounding for his patient waiting and he does this then later in the psalm By referencing two very important descriptors of our Lord It's there In verse 14 and 13 He says I have not concealed your loving mercy and truth from the great congregation Withdraw not your mercy from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth always preserve me. What's he doing? He's, he's trying to remind us of that very description that God gives to us of himself, right? He's trying us to remember Exodus 34. And if we go back there, you remember in Exodus 34, we've just had a, a very disheartening event. We've had the golden calf. We've gotten out of Egypt with the Israelites. We've watched them get away to safety. And Moses is up on the mountain in the very presence of God as the mountain burns and shines with his glory. And down below, in the light of that very glory, the golden calf is made. And Moses, after breaking the tablets, Once he has interceded for them, that they would not just be wiped off the face of the earth, he goes up to get new tablets, and he asks, God, show me yourself. And God passes in front of him, and he says his name. He says, the Lord described in the cloud, descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger in abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness This is what God calls himself. So this must be important to our understanding of who God is Now the first one uh, It's translated in the ESV as steadfast love Uh, You might also call it loyal love the word is chesed now Chesed is hard to translate and that's why you always get these multiple words paired together and the reason why is It's trying to convey three different concepts that we have in English. It it wants you to know of love A character of love and and at the same time a character of generosity All wrapped in entangled and tied together with enduring commitment Right Chesed can't be purchased. You can't behave some way towards someone to engender or create chesed in them. It's driven by one's own heart disposition and character. Dr. Tim Mackey describes it as an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. Right? It's the golden calf. He's just talked about wiping them off the earth. And Moses behaves like the representative God wants and intercedes for them. And his face shines with the glory of God. And then God says, yes, this is who I am. I am one who is abundantly chesed, loyal and loving. And the other one, faithfulness, it's translated, that one is emet. Emet. Is true and faithful. And um, when we think of faithful, we think of full of faith at times, like we are full of faith in God. Uh, But the other aspect of faithful is what this is in Hebrew it's the trustworthy, reliable true and faithful, something that can be depended upon again and again and again, it's steady character. So God says, I am chesed, I am full of this covenant loyalty and I am faithful, I can be depended on, I do not change. Abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. But do we believe that? Really, honestly, as we walk through our daily lives, do we believe that he is faithful to us and trustworthy? And if so, what does that mean practically for us? Well, let's look at another one of our readings tonight to try and tease that out a little bit. It's the conversation our authors have uh, with us over Isaac. Now, Hebrews gives us a glance into what's going on here. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of Whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named and He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead From which figuratively speaking he did receive him back So that's what's going on here what Abraham does is he looks at God He looks at our Lord and what he has done in his life, and he says I count you as Chesed and Emet. I count you as having covenant loyalty to me and being trustworthy And so if you're asking me to go do this and you've made a promise that my seed will come through Isaac Then the only conclusion I have is that you must be able to raise him from the dead And that's exactly what he's counting on right because Uh, when his servants are coming with them before they go up on the mountain he says to them stay here with the donkey I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come again to you and then in 8 once Isaac confused has asked I've done this before we're missing a piece father Isaac says don't worry or Abraham says don't worry God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. You see, faith isn't conjuring up some sort of emotional peace with circumstances, right? I can't control this. It might go well for me. It might not go well for me. I just have to trust in God and accept what he gives me. And be at peace, even though inside I feel all out of joint. It's not engendering, building up, and convincing yourself that everything's okay. Nor is it a trust that's not questioning, that just takes it on face value and never actually stops to think. In fact, it's very much different from that. When we say have faith, or believe, that word in Hebrew is het amin. It's related to "ameth," And you might uh, notice the het amin is related to another word that we use quite frequently, but we don't translate. Amen? Yeah? Amen says it is true. So when you get done with the end of the prayer and say amen, you said, everything I have given to you, Lord, to entrust to you, all the trust I have placed upon you, this is true. This is why it's so important when we're praying and together that you lift up your voice, let the people around you hear it, because when you get done, they're going to say, Amen, it is true. And how can they say, Amen, if they don't know what you have said? Ha, Amen, ha, amen. It is true. It's it's a word that means to believe in or to have faith in an application But the very core of it is I consider this trustworthy It's like you go to a bridge and the bridge is made of stone and someone asks you do you I mean the bridge? You don't sit there and think about it. If you're going to test it, you might put a foot out and stomp a couple times you might walk to the side and consider how well it is built and whether the mortar is falling or there are any cracks in it. And if there are cracks in it, then you say, no, I don't think I will walk across here. I'll walk downstream to the next one. But if it's firm and solid and you have assessed it, then you say, yes, I, ha- I mean, I believe in this bridge. I'll walk across it. So it's, it's not an emotion. It's an evaluation our evaluation. Is the Lord worthy of our trust and reliance? Is he a stable hope for us? Now, Psalm 40 is full of, I mean, of considering God trustworthy. It says in nine, Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. And so I said, Behold, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, and I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Indeed, your laws within my heart. I have declared your righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, that you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. My talk has been of your truth and of your salvation. I have not concealed your loving mercy and truth from the great congregation. It's full of that that trusting in God because of what he has done and who he is known to be. And it's also honest about the circumstances. 12 and 14 say, innumerable troubles have encompassed me. My sins have taken hold of me, and I am not able to look up. Indeed, they are more in number than the hairs of my head, and my heart has utterly failed me. My heart has utterly failed me. It's been a year. It's been a year, and I was trying to think how to talk about that in the sermon, and uh, I had a big paragraph here, and I needed to summarize it. And I think... For myself, I can summarize this last year in two ways More and more Things seem untrustworthy and unstable in our culture Every time I turn around That seems to be the conversation that seems to be what I'm dwelling on and at the same time I have this constant companion of my sin which I cannot escape or evade. Maybe if if you were to pause and consider the year, it would be a good summary for you too. And the psalmist would say, as he does in 20, as for me, as for you all, I am poor and needy. But the Lord cares for me. And he ends with, you are my helper and deliverer. Do not tarry, O my God. When we're honest with ourselves and we look at our own hearts and our own dispositions, we are bankrupt. We do not have chesed, loyal love, and we are not emet, worthy to be relied upon. But we know one who is, We've been working a lot in our Bible study of the overall story of scripture and how it all fits together and there's this Curious account of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it's set up as a signpost in Genesis chapter 2 and carried all the way through and you know that at the beginning Adam and Eve are by the tree And they have the choice they have the test will I do it God's way and choose his good his definition of good and bad Or am I going to do it my way? Am I going to put myself first? What is good for me, regardless of what is good for those around me? And they fail, right? And sin enters the world, and that's the story. That's the beginning of the story, and we're looking for the seed. Now we get to Abraham, and he obeys, and as part of God's response to his obeying, he said, from you, you will come the seed. Abraham considers God trustworthy and gives up Isaac on a cut tree as a sacrifice and only to have Isaac replaced by a ram that the Lord himself provides. Generation after generation, people have their opportunity at the tree. What, they're going, what are they going to choose? And then one day, a man, not long of beard or days, finds himself in another garden. A garden filled with trees where he also is tested John chapter 18 witnesses to us When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden Which he and his disciples entered Now Judas who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples So Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons And then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him knowing all that would happen to him Don't miss that Came forward and said to them Who do you seek? They answered him Jesus of Nazareth And Jesus said to them I'm he Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I and he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Amongst these trees, Jesus shows himself to be faithful to his call, and he does not run. He does not choose what is good for him, but walks in faith to his father's will. Of his own choice, he exhibits promise-keeping loyalty trustworthiness And not long after this he finds himself on another tree a cross Which he is just as free to flee from He could choose what is right in his eyes for himself And he's he's told us what is right. He said let this cup pass from me. I do not want to go there father That's what he would choose if he choose what was right in his own eyes. He would flee the cross He would not live for others, but live for himself and yet And yet jesus considered the father worthy of his trust And he being full of his own loyal love and full of faithfulness. He himself stayed there until he could say It is finished And bow his head and give up his spirit. So, why have you come here tonight? Have you come here to offer up your guilt in payment for this sacrifice? It isn't wanted. Have you come here to dwell on your sins so that they would come up to your neck as high water to drown in your despair as some sort of offering or, or maybe because you think you deserve it? It's a hopeless task and it'll consume you. If you have come for that, it will consume you. But have you come seeking hope amidst unstable times and relief from carrying your own fickleness and sin. Ah, that, that is a worthy reason for us coming together here and remembering what happened on that cross so long ago. The Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ Jesus of Nazareth, who lived and died full of loyal love and faithfulness, come to him. For in the very moment of his death, the gospel authors remind us that the temple curtain was torn in two. Life, where God dwells with mankind, once again freely at peace, opened to all who would come. When we come to Jesus and give up our burdens of sin and fickleness of our unfaithfulness So that he might carry them So that he might wear them in our place. We are considered righteous by the blood of his cross The author of Hebrews tells us the practical implications of considering Jesus trustworthy He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So this year on this Good Friday, I have but one fact for you to dwell on. Amen, amen. It is true, it is true. Jesus Christ is the faithful one, and your hope is not in vain. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.